Welcome to the One God Report Podcast. The music is called Beginnings by the band Chicago, released on Columbia Records in 1969 and re-released in 1971. I thought the only the beginning refrain fitting as we continue to consider the new creation in the Gospel of John and see how Jesus is the beginning of God's new creation. In a previous podcast, episode number seven, called Jesus is the Beginning of God's New Creation, we saw that the literary context of the Gospel of John requires that we understand John's prologue to be introducing the ministry and life of Jesus. In our last podcast, episode number 15, called More New Creation in the Gospel of John, we saw how the Old Testament scriptures anticipated a new creation and how language, events, and the miracles recorded in John's Gospel declare the new creation coming with Jesus the Messiah. This is further evidence that John's introduction, the prologue to his gospel, should be understood in a new creation or new beginning context. In this podcast, we will take a closer look at the historical context in which first century readers of John's gospel would have understood this gospel to be about a new beginning. We will also see how other New Testament authors saw in Jesus a new beginning, the beginning of God's new creation. And finally, we will note one big problem with the typical deity of Christ interpretation of John chapter 1, verse 1. Now let's consider the Gospel of John in its historical context, how the Gospel of John was understood by first century A.D. readers. Let me start by quoting from an article called Creation Renewal in the Gospel of John, written by Dr. Janine Brown, who is an evangelical professor of New Testament at Bethel Seminary, which has campuses in St. Paul, Minnesota, and San Diego, California. Dr. Brown says in her article called Creation's Renewal in the Gospel of John, quote, The notion of recreation, supported by echoes of Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2, would not only have been understandable to John and his audience, but would have fit well a first-century Jewish frame of reference, especially in relation to Jewish eschatological views. This Protestant evangelical author recognizes that first-century readers, especially Jews and Gentiles who had a biblically informed worldview, would have readily identified John's Gospel as a description of how God, through Jesus, is beginning creation renewal. Creation renewal is a biblical Hebraic hope that a pious Hebrew expected to accompany the coming of the Messiah. As we saw in our last podcast, creation renewal is anticipated by the Old Testament Hebrew prophets. Let me read that quote again. The notion of recreation, supported by echoes of Genesis chapters 1 and Genesis chapter 2, would not only have been understandable to John and his audience, but would have fit well a first-century Jewish frame of reference, especially in relation to Jewish eschatological views. 
first century readers knew God's promise in the scriptures about a new beginning. Readers knew or learned about what Paul called the hope of Israel. That's Acts 23, 6, 24, 21, and 28, 20. The hope of Israel is the resurrection of the dead in the age to come. Readers would have got the message of John's gospel. Messiah has come. The new has or is coming. The Hebrew scriptures and the cultural heritage infused into Jews an eschatological expectation of a renewed humanity on a renewed earth, a new history referred to as the age to come or the kingdom of God, which involved the resurrection from the dead, restoration to health, the restoration of God's covenant people, the meek inheriting and ruling the earth, world peace, and life in fullness and abundance as God intended. It was only beginning in the second century, that is, in the century after Jesus, that Hellenist or Greek thinking Gentile church fathers began to misinterpret John's prologue by postulating the existence of some subordinate lesser God called the Logos, the Greek word for word in John 1.1. Adapting John's first words about the Logos or word to Greek philosophy, these Greek-thinking church fathers began to postulate that somehow a second divine person was involved in the Genesis creation. But these Gentile church fathers ignored or missed the biblical Hebraic setting of the life of Jesus and the writing of John's gospel. They weren't familiar with or ignored or intentionally rejected Hebraic thought, theology, and language. The Greek philosophical background of the church fathers caused them to misunderstand John's opening words. In addition, Greek philosophical thinking promoted the escape of the soul from the body and escape from this world. This escape philosophy prevented the church fathers from understanding God's work of redemption of the body and redemption of this physical world. Let me emphasize this. These church fathers, influenced by Greek philosophy, emphasized the escape from the body, an escape from the physical world, rather than the biblical redemption of the whole human person and redemption of the physical world. These Gentile theologians have caused no small amount of confusion as to the meaning of John's introductory verses and entire gospel. As we think about the historical context of the writing of a gospel like John, consider for a moment the apostles' question to Jesus just before Jesus was taken into heaven, as recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 6. The apostles asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The apostles, and rightly so, knew that the kingdom of God, with Israel playing a key role, would be established on this earth. But Jesus told the apostles that the time for establishing that kingdom was up to God. In other words, Jesus told them that there would be a passage of time until the kingdom was established. The kingdom of God was not to be realized on earth immediately. That the kingdom of God and the rule of God's Messiah was not immediately established 
at the time that Jesus was on earth brings up two Jewish objections to Jesus being the Messiah. First, if you tell a Jewish person today that Jesus is Messiah, one of the first things they'll tell you in response is that Messiah is not God. And the Jews are right about this. The so-called deity of Christ or deity of Messiah is a totally foreign concept to Scripture and was never an issue until beginning in the second century AD when Hellenized Gentile Christians began to postulate some kind of a literal pre-existence of Jesus. Discussions about or objections to the pre-existence or deity of Christ are totally absent from the New Testament. For instance, in the book of Acts, because the apostles never claimed the pre-existence or the deity of Christ. In the book of Acts, there's no presentation of the deity of Christ, and there's no opposition to such a claim, simply because the claim came later, in a century after Jesus. And, I might add, from a land that Jesus did not live in. In contrast, in the book of Acts, the apostles preached the crucified, risen, exalted, human Messiah. As an example, see Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. The question that the first century world was confronted with was, is Jesus the Messiah, not is Jesus God? Now, secondly, another main Jewish objection to Jesus being the Messiah is this. Jesus can't be the Messiah because we know that when Messiah comes, he will usher in the kingdom of God, including renewal and resurrection. But come on, get real, take a look around. There's still sickness, there's suffering, there's death, war, and injustice on earth. And Israel still waits for redemption. When Messiah comes, these things will be done away. Now, this second objection. In short, the kingdom hasn't come, so Jesus can't be Messiah. Could be used by unbelievers starting from about the time that Jesus was put in a tomb. Much of the New Testament, including the Gospel of John, answers this second objection. It was a question raised even by the disciples of Jesus when they thought that Jesus was dead. A few days after the crucifixion, two sad disciples on the way to Emmaus said, We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. That's Luke 24, 21. But Jesus had been killed, and the kingdom had not come. He couldn't be Messiah. This objection, where is the kingdom, is related to what Paul called a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. To Paul, the stumbling block to the Jews was not the deity of Christ, but it was the death of Messiah, the death of Christ, and that by crucifixion. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, Messiah crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 2-2, Acts 2, 36, etc., the years and even the decades following the death of Jesus passed on. John's Gospel was written when many of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection had themselves died, and the author of the Gospel was either dead or close to death. See John 21, 23. The problem of, if Jesus is the Messiah, where's the kingdom, where's the new beginning, 
became more and more acute as each day and each year passed. Then throw in no small amount of persecution against those who followed Jesus, and some early Christians no doubt wondered, is it all true? Is it all worth it? Shall we look for another? The Gospel of John is an answer to their questions. John writes, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's John 20, 31. The ministry and life of Jesus, the miraculous signs of renewal and restoration recorded by John. Again, we looked at some in our previous podcast, episode number 15, like water to wine, the lame healed, blind seeing, the dead raised, and the ultimate sign that God raised Jesus from the dead to newness of life are evidences that Jesus is the Messiah through whom God restores creation and brings in the kingdom. However, and yes, this is a big however, so far we have in Jesus only a down payment a sample, a taste, or evidence of the promised renewal and recreation. Jesus is only, say that in quotes, he's only the beginning of God's new creation. See Revelation 3.14 and 21.5. But the evidence through and in Jesus is overwhelming and is a sure and steadfast anchor of hope. The Jews are correct. The Messiah ushers in creation's renewal, including the resurrection. Have you ever wondered about how Matthew records in Matthew 27, 52 to 53, that after the resurrection of Jesus, he says, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and were seen by many? Okay, this is a sign, a sample, that the resurrection from the dead comes through Jesus. What many people didn't understand is that Messiah would suffer and die first, indeed, die by crucifixion at the hands of Jewish leaders and Gentile overlords before entering glory. And many people could not understand that even after Messiah came, there was to be a period of time of the coexistence of good and evil. As Peter said in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19, until the time for the establishing all that God spoke. Remember John the Baptist's question when the Baptist saw injustice and wickedness persisting? The Baptist sent messengers to Jesus from prison and asked, Shall we look for another? Like Jesus' answer to that question, the Gospel of John is telling us that there is no need to look for another. The recreation has begun in Jesus and is coming through Jesus. He is the beginning. We have the sure evidence, the sure down payment, the reliable eyewitnesses, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised. We've got evidence, but this is only the beginning. Just wait for the completion. In summary so far, interpreting John's gospel, including his prologue, as a declaration of recreation fits the historical context of the first century AD. Creation renewal was and is a biblical Hebraic expectation, which was and is to be ushered in with the coming of the Messiah. The message that Jesus is the beginning 
of the new was fitting and understandable for readers of John's gospel in the first century A.D. Jesus, as the beginning of God's creation, is the real-life paradigm of the good things to come. But all is not set straight yet. The kingdom has not yet been restored to Israel. But the life of Jesus is evidence that times of refreshing will come from God. Through Jesus, God will establish all that he spoke through his prophets. John's Gospel tells us that the new creation has so far, through Jesus, only come in sample and symbol as evidence of its eventual coming in fullness and completeness. Our next topic will be the new creation in other New Testament texts. This is an intertextual study. In a previous podcast called More New Creation in the Gospel of John, we saw how the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures predicted or anticipated God's work of new creation. Now I want to look at some additional New Testament texts to see that interpreting John's gospel as declaring the promised new beginning in Jesus is in agreement with the whole of the New Testament. That is, other New Testament texts also present God's work of recreation being done through and in the Lord Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is never referred to as the Creator, but is the channel through and in and for whom God recreates. This intertextual study is important, since we will see that the Gospel of John is in agreement with other biblical writings. Rather than trying to interpret John's Gospel through the lens of non-biblical literature, we will gain a better understanding of John's Gospel by comparing it with other New Testament literature. Let's look at some other texts in the New Testament that are consistent with interpreting John's Gospel in the context of new beginning or new creation. We've already noted in episode number 7 called Jesus is the Beginning of God's New Creation how the phrase the beginning in John's Gospel relates to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and that the epistles of John and the book of Revelation present Jesus as a new beginning. For instance, 1 John 1.1 and Revelation 3.14. In that same podcast, we also noted that the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like the Gospel of John, all have a beginning or a genesis associated with the person and ministry of Jesus. Here I'll note just a few of the many other references from the Synoptic Gospels that anticipate a renewed earth and renewed life for humankind. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 28, after Jesus told a rich ruler to sell his possessions, Peter asked what will be given to the apostles who had left everything. Jesus said to his apostles, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus used a very interesting word here, which means rebirth or regeneration, renewal. Paul used the same word in Titus 3.5 to mean rebirth or regeneration. In Mark 10, verse 30 and Luke 18, verse 30, 
Jesus said that those who have given up much to follow him will receive, quote, in the age to come, eternal life, unquote. Now let's move on to the Apostle Paul. Again, comparing the Gospel of John with other biblical literature should give a better understanding than if we compare John with other supposed parallels in other non-biblical literature. One of the Apostle Paul's ways to describe Jesus as a new beginning or a new creation is to refer to Jesus as the second Adam. For instance, in Romans 5, 12, 15, 17 to 19, 21, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 47. Paul's second Adam is really the counterpart to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was flesh, that is, a human being. To Paul, the first man, Adam, was the channel through whom all human life and society came to be, beginning at the Genesis creation. The second man, Jesus, is the channel through whom all human life and society comes to be in the new creation. Let me read one of Paul's examples of the second man in Romans 5.15. Quote, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23, Paul describes how all creation waits for redemption and renewal. Paul says that the biblical hope for man is not a disembodied escape to heaven, but an expectation of physical resurrection to the renewed earth in which righteousness dwells. Indeed, the resurrection of human beings is confirmation of the goodness of God's creation. To desire a disembodied, ethereal existence is tantamount to telling God that his creation is evil or to blame God for our circumstances. Declaring that a disembodied soul has gone to heaven and is in a better place is kind of like turning your back on God and telling God, I don't like or want your creation that you made for me, and denying that God can remedy our situation. Believers in Christ should not want to escape the earth that God created for man. Rather, they should want and wait to inherit the renewed earth in righteousness and life everlasting. Paul says, quote, The creation waits with eager longing because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and that we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8.23 Compare Psalm 37.9 and Matthew 5.5, Matthew 6.10 There is much more about new creation in Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 6.15 For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Colossians 1.15 Paul says, He, that's Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
if Jesus is God, as deity of Christ theology insists, how can Jesus be the firstborn of all creation, as Paul proclaims? The answer is simple. Deity of Christ's proponents are wrong, and Jesus, by virtue of his being raised from the dead by God to life immortal, is the firstborn of the new creation. In Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Jesus is, quote, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, like Paul, other New Testament writers join the new creation choir. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, describes a divine purging of the current heavens and earth. And then 2 Peter 3.13 says, quote, But according to his, that's God's promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1-2, In these last days God has spoken to us through a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages. Hebrews 2.5, Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's to human beings that God subjected the world to come. Hebrews 6.5 says that certain people have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And remember, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now, resurrection is new creation. In Revelation 3, 14, Jesus is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The New Testament practically closes with this declaration in Revelation 21, 5, quote, He who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, unquote. I've done this survey of other New Testament literature to show that interpreting the first chapter of the Gospel of John, indeed all of John's Gospel, in the context of new creation, is consistent with other New Testament literature. Indeed, interpreting John's Gospel as consistent with other New Testament literature yields better results than interpreting John through the lens of other non-biblical literature. New beginning, new creation, is a central theme of both the Old and New Testaments, and that new creation comes through Jesus is chiefly evidenced by his flesh and bone resurrection from the dead. The so-called deity of Christ interpretation of John chapter 1 ignores the new creation theme and has choked good exegetical interpretation of John 1 and passages like Colossians 1, 12-18 and Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2-3. to John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 are telling us that the creation renewal is done by God in and through and for Jesus, to whom God has subjected all power and authority. But keep in mind, Jesus is only the beginning of God's new creation, the firstborn from the dead. All creation waits for renewal. There is one more topic I'd like to address in this podcast, and that is, there's no tension between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament 
regarding who the Creator is. The one God who created life in the book of Genesis is the one God who is renewing creation life through Jesus. Trinitarians, or Deity of Christ proponents, sometimes say that there is a tension between the Old and New Testaments. Yes, they acknowledge, the God who is described as the Creator in the Old Testament appears to be one individual. But then they say, in the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, is Creator, or at least somehow he participated in creation. I heard one pastor say on a nationally televised broadcast, quote, Jesus said he created the universe, unquote. Now, Jesus never said any such thing, and the pastor will be accountable for putting words into Jesus' mouth. Probably what happened is that the pastor thinks that passages like John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 describe Jesus as the Genesis creator. So in the pastor's mind, he has made Jesus say, quote, I created the universe, unquote. But that leads deity of Christ proponents into a dilemma. Who is the creator? The one God, Yahweh of the Hebrew Scriptures, or Jesus of the New Testament? So, deity of Christ proponents say there is a tension between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament says that Yahweh, God, the Father, is the one creator. But the New Testament says that also Jesus is creator. But deity of Christ theologians should be honest with themselves and with others and quit claiming that they believe there is a tension they like that word, attention, between the Old and New Testaments. Tension is a disingenuous word. It's a kind of weasel word. What they are really saying is that they believe there is a contradiction between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. But there is no contradiction or tension between the Old and New Testaments. It is only deity of Christ's theology that has created the contradiction deity of Christ followers wrongly assume that scriptures like John 1 and Colossians 1, 15 to 18 and Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 to be describing Jesus' role as the creator of the universe in the book of Genesis. Because of their deity of Christ presuppositions, they fail to see that the one God, Yahweh or Jehovah of the Old Testament, is bringing about the new creation in and through the human Messiah, Jesus. John's Gospel sees God at work in renewal and recreation. Jesus is not the creator or even the recreator, but he is the firstborn of the recreation and the channel through and in whom God recreates all. John describes the life of Jesus with actual historical events but wants readers to understand and believe that the life of Jesus is evidence of the new creation work that God is performing in and through Jesus. The climax of the book of John is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection is new creation. New Testament passages never mention Jesus as the Creator, Instead, God's work of new creation is done in and through Jesus. Jesus has a role in bringing about the new creation, but it is a subordinate role to the one God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Father, who makes everything. 
Jesus is the channel through whom God brings about the recreation, the beginning of eternal life. Similarly, the one man Adam was the one man through whom God created all human life in Genesis. Noah was the one man through whom human life started again. Abraham was the one man through whom God established a covenant community and brings blessings upon the world. It can be said that life is the theme of the original creation in Genesis. It is not a coincidence that resurrection life, renewal of life, everlasting life, is the theme of the new creation of John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus prayed, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. That's John 17, verses 1 to 3. So in conclusion, having understood from this podcast and our previous introductory podcasts on the Gospel of John, that the Gospel of John was not written to tell us that Jesus is God, but rather that Jesus is the Messiah, the human Son of God, and that life is available in him, and that the beginning of John 1.1 is not a direct reference to the Genesis creation, but echoes or alludes to the Genesis creation, because the same God who created in Genesis is beginning a renewal of that creation in and through his word, Jesus the Messiah, and that the literary context of the prologue of John's gospel should be understood as an introduction to the subject at hand, and the subject at hand is the ministry of Jesus, not the Genesis creation, and that understanding John's gospel as a proclamation of a new beginning fits the historical context of first century A.D. Judaism. Creation renewal was a biblical Hebraic expectation of the prophets and the people of Israel, which was to be ushered in with the coming of the Messiah. And that the message of a new beginning in creation renewal is evidenced by the miraculous deeds of Jesus, like changing water to wine, the healing of the lame and the blind, and especially by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus, as the beginning of God's creation, is the real-life paradigm of the good things to come. And that many other New Testament texts agree that Jesus is a new beginning, the beginning of God's new creation. And that Jesus was not some kind of a co-creator with the Father in Genesis 1, but rather is the human channel through whom God brings about creation renewal. We now have a better framework from which we can interpret some of the more difficult verses in John's prologue. What did the author of the gospel mean when he wrote, The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was flesh? We hope to examine these and other aspects of the first 18 verses of John's gospel in a future podcast. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. 
ישמעו ענבים וישמחו. The humble will hear and rejoice. Oh,